The responsive reading of the Old Testament comes from the book of Isaiah, from chapters 40 and verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall attain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now the New Testament reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, 
on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests this morning. We have been out and about in the Mid-South, striving to be in this week salt and light to the world around us, not by the strength of our personalities, but by the strength of your Spirit, by the strength of Christ in us, by the power of your Word. Our Father, we have sought to be in some way prophets, taking the Word of God out to the world around us. We pray, Father, that week after week you'll teach us to do that. Father, we pray that people would see Christ in us and see his salvation in us. Our Father, we bow before you now, though, as your priests. You've called all of us to be priests. It's not just for ministers or elders or deacons or certain people within the church. It's your whole church, Father. You called us each one to be priests. To come before you and bring our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our grandparents, to bring our neighbors, our friends, the people with whom we work, the people around us that are hurting, that are sick. All of these we bring before you this morning. We stop right now in the midst and we pray as individual priests for the persons in our families. Our Father, together now we pray for Becky Guyswhite. We pray that, Father, you would keep her from pain, set her eyes and her mind on the security that she has in Christ. Cause her eyes to see, Father, what you have prepared for her and to look forward with anticipation. We pray for Sandy Berlin. We thank you for the relief that you brought him and we pray now that you would just bring a complete healing. Our Father, we have been in the middle of John chapter 5 and no matter how well I know this passage, Father, no matter how well we know it. We won't be taught. John Sartell cannot teach this this morning or any morning in a way that would change us from the inside out, in a way that would hold us, hold our rapt attention. in a way that would cause us to bow down before the truths that are found here and worship. So, Father, once more, we look to you and ask you to teach us. Oh, Father, 
We pray that in these next few minutes, each of us, young and old, would hear your words in our hearts, in our minds, that we would love those words that would be changed, maybe some of us for the first time, for the glory, for the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Jesus, what evidence do you present for your astounding claims? This is our third week in the fifth chapter of John. The chapter began with the third miracle that Jesus performed nor that John recorded in his gospel, only the third. He heals a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He tells the man simply, take up your bed and walk. And the man, for the first time, stood up. He folded up his bed and he walked away. The religious leaders, it's beyond our imagination, but the Religious leaders accuse a man of breaking the Sabbath by carrying his bed on this holy day. They had made laws concerning this, and they had made laws against what this man was doing. When the man tells them he was just doing what Jesus told him to do, the religious leaders go to Jesus and say, Do you realize? Now think about it. Jesus had just healed this man by fiat. And do you realize what a mistake you've made? What a, this is a sin. You encourage this man to carry his mat on the Sabbath of all things. And then they said, and by the way, Jesus, you shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. That's work. And it is forbidden. Now you want to look at this and say, how blind can these people be? But we'll come back to that in a moment. Jesus could have easily answered them by telling them to get out their Old Testament scrolls and show where God says, don't heal people on the Sabbath. That would have been so simple. But instead, he really goes to the heart of the matter. Instead, he demonstrates that he has the authority to heal on the Sabbath. And he does this by making five audacious, astounding claims. We looked at those claims last week. Jesus said, like the Father continues his work on the Sabbath by sustaining his creation, sustaining the universe, I continue my work on the Sabbath. Like the Father, he says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. That's what he was saying throughout this passage. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He was also saying, he also said, I'm one with the Father. I'm one with God. It was a clear claim to deity. Thirdly, we heard Jesus say, as the Father speaks and the power of his voice gives life, I speak. And by the power of my voice, I give spiritual life. He doesn't stop there. He says, as the Father raises the dead 
physically by the power of his voice. I speak and raise the dead physically by my voice. And he demonstrated that several times. And then lastly, he said, the Father. Now get this. This is where it ends. This what an ending when he was making claims. By the way, the Father has made me judge of all of history, of all the earth, of all the universe. I'm the judge. The Father does not judge. I do. Now this is how Jesus answered these religious and political leaders. Now, use the word answered. The word translated answered in verse 17 is a unique word. It's, it was a word used when charges were brought in a courtroom and the defendant answered the charges. That's, this is the exact word. So Jesus is saying, is acting as if he's in a courtroom, and there's a good reason for that. These men were representatives of the Sanhedrin, the chief Jewish governing authority of Israel. This was the highest court in the land, or representatives from the highest court in the land. He's given five astounding claims as his defense. So next, and this is beautiful, it's not hard to understand. So next, he sets out to give evidence for these claims. He says, here's how can you can know that these claims are true. So Jesus, what evidence do you present for your astounding, incredible claims? Well, first, he disqualifies himself as a witness. Now, hang with me. This is important because John mentions it here. And Jesus spoke this. Look at John 5, 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. What does that mean? Several weeks ago, uh, I officiated at a wedding. I had to fill out legal documents issued by the county verifying that I had actually married this couple. It was their marriage license. But then there was another place. A witness had to sign. What if I had signed the document as the officiating authority and then signed the document as a witness that John Sartell had married the couple? If I had done that, I would have been receiving, I would have gotten a call from the county clerk. Mr. Sartell, you cannot be your own witness. You cannot sign the document as the officiant and then sign it as a witness that you actually married them. Well, that's what Jesus was saying. Here, I, I don't like the ESV translation, it, the, the Bible that we standardly use. It reads, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. That's not a good translation. This is Jesus, the Son of God from eternity. Everything he says is true. However, it would not be valid in a court of law. Jewish law, our law in this country. It would not be accepted as being proper in legal proceedings. I use this verse, by the way, as a text in our bulletin, and I had to go to several translations and finally went to the, uh, to the NLT to 
get a really accurate translation. It reads, if I, it's in your bulletin under the title of the sermon. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. Be true, but it wouldn't be valid. So Jesus has disqualified himself as a witness. And he proceeds by bringing four witnesses before the court. First, he says, John the baptizer is my first witness. Look at verse 32. Then another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, that's John the baptizer, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. In other words, he was saying, I, I don't need the testimony of a man. But I say this, I'm the son of God, but I say this so that you might know it's truth, so that you might be saved. And then he says, John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, that may not seem to be much of a witness to you, but put yourself in Jesus' day, it's huge. What a witness. John was the first true prophet of God that had been in Israel for 400 years. There had not been a true prophet in Israel for 400 years. 400 years had passed since God had uttered the last words of the Old Testament through the prophet Malachi. And what were those words? He said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. But before Malachi, Isaiah wrote about the life and purpose of John the baptizer, even before Malachi. Now, why did he use, Malachi said, I will send one like Elijah. Well, read your New Testament and look at John the baptizer. John preached like Elijah. Elijah was fiery. John preached like Elijah. He dressed actually like Elijah. He looked like him in the way he dressed. And he came out of the wilderness just like Elijah. God sent him to lead a spiritual awakening in Israel in preparation for the Messiah. We read about that this morning in Isaiah. And what an awakening. John the baptizer was a household name. Tens of thousands came to hear him. King Herod and his court went to hear him. Roman soldiers and their officers went to hear him. People came by the thousands. It was John the baptizer that pointed to Jesus finally and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was Jesus' witness. Look at John 1.26, uh, going back to the first chapter of John. John said it, to representatives like in the first chapter, like these in chapter 5, representatives from the Sanhedrin, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. That was Jesus' witness. I'm not, as many of you know, I'm not much of a golfer. I love to play golf. It's the hardest game there is in the world. But I have one unique claim. I have made 
a hole in one. And I have a fantastic, wonderful witness. I was in Florida visiting R.C. Sproul, and the two of us were playing golf. And on a par three, I made a hole in one, and my witness is R.C. Sproul. Now, there's some men in this congregation that say, yeah, but he's home with the Lord now. You can't really verify that, can you? John was a superb witness. These religious leaders to whom Jesus spoke knew the scriptures. They knew their scriptures prophesied about a coming Messiah. They knew these same scriptures had prophesied that a great prophet was to come before the Messiah, preparing the way for him. In the first chapter, John was so great that they actually came to him from the Sanhedrin and said, Who are you? He was so exceptional. They knew that he was, just not a, he was just not another preacher. Look at John 1, 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he quoted Isaiah. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Question. Some of you are asking right now, well, why didn't John tell the religious leaders that he was Elijah mentioned by Malachi? It's understandable. He was afraid they would think he was claiming to be Elijah reincarnated. And that's not what Malachi meant. And he wasn't going, John wasn't going to open himself up to that. But he did quote Isaiah saying that the voice in the wilderness announcing the Messiah, that's who he was. Jesus told the religious leaders on that day in the fifth chapter of John, do you remember John? You bask in the light of his ministry for a few years. He was the one who told you who I was. He was the one who said, there's a long awaited, here is the long awaited Messiah of Israel. So John's on the witness stand saying, Jesus is a Messiah. And Jesus is saying, what will you do with John's testimony? What are you going to do with it? But then Jesus tells them he has an even greater witness. He says, the miracles I do are my next witness. How do you explain the miracles? That's what Jesus was saying. Look at John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works, the works the Father has given me, miraculous works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. In our studies over and over again, we have seen that the major purpose of the miracles was to prove the Messiah foretold by the prophet, to prove he was the Son of God. You see, Jesus was doing only what God could do. No other prophet had ever, ever done what Jesus was doing. No other teacher had ever done that. 
He did not pray for miracles to happen. He didn't pray for the blind to see. He simply spoke. He just said to a man, here's a man paralyzed for 38 years. And Jesus merely walks up to him and says, take up your bed and walk. Have you ever known anyone that can do that? You know, Nicodemus, who may have been standing with the Pharisees and Sadducees that day in the fifth chapter of John, he had came, he came to John and He came to Jesus in John chapter 3. Remember, he came at night. And what did Nicodemus say to Jesus? Rabbi, it's it's John 3, 2. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. This is important. Look at this first. Look at the details. Nicodemus called him rabbi. That means teacher. It doesn't mean miracle worker. It means teacher. But then he did not mention the incredible words that Jesus spoke. Rather, he mentioned the incredible signs. You couldn't do this unless you've had this relationship with God himself. Modern theological liberals, most of you know I went to a very liberal Presbyterian school, went to a very liberal Presbyterian, uh, or Presbyterian, liberal Presbyterian college, went to a very liberal Presbyterian seminary. And from the very beginning, my teachers went to extraordinary lengths to destroy the miracles. Why did they focus on the miracles? Because the miracles proved the deity of Jesus. They proved the incarnation. My professors didn't believe that God had become flesh. That's ridiculous. That's exactly what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. But they had a problem. They were standing there. They saw the miracles. Stop and think about that. These very men, they had seen the miracles. They had seen a man paralyzed for 38 years. They had seen him walking. At the command of Jesus. What could could they do? You know what they did? Remember when Jesus healed Lazarus? We've talked about this again. Over and over again. But you're going to keep hearing it. Because it's powerful. Especially in the world in which we live today. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And what happened? Those religious leaders, Lazarus was an important person. Those religious leaders had been there. And they came back after Jesus raised from the dead, and there was Lazarus. What was their response? Look at John 12, 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. Why? Because people were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. we got to kill Lazarus. we got to kill these miracles. You see this. And at the beginning, we... We said we'd come back to this. How can these men not see? How can these men not see? 
blind made to see, the deaf made to hear, the paralyzed to walk, the lepers cleansed by command, by feeling. You want to say, but you dare not say it, and I warn you about saying it. Oh, John, if I could have just seen one of those, if I could have seen Lazarus raised from the dead, I, I would believe. Oh, John, if I could have seen him make this paralyzed man to walk, I would believe. Folks, the Pharisees and Sadducees had seen these miracles over and over and over and over again. Yet they didn't believe. They never denied that they took place. You can't find that. They didn't say to the people, well, Jesus really didn't do this. What did they say? They said, it's the power of Satan. Jesus is satanic. And these powers to do these things, they're from Satan. They're evil. I mean, look at it. He commanded a man to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath of all things. That's evil. They could physically see the miracles, but they were blind spiritually. They're problem people. Get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. If you're not a Christian today, you've got a gigantic problem. You could see Lazarus come from the tomb and you still wouldn't follow Jesus. Because it's a matter of a sinful heart. It's a matter of a sinful mind. It's a matter of a rebellious mind. It's a matter of that sin nature inside of us throwing off the law of God. Throwing off the person of God. Jesus hit the nail on the head with Nicodemus. Standing there in all of his righteousness, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you're changed from the inside out, you'll not believe. You'll not follow me. You need to be born again. So, Jesus says, John the baptizer is my first witness. The miracles I do is my next witness. Thirdly, God the Father who sent me is my third witness. Look at John 5, 37. And there stood John the Baptist, or excuse me, 5, 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. How did the Father bear witness about him? Go back to the baptism of Jesus. When he's being commissioned as Messiah, there stood the powerful, gigantic John the Baptizer at the Jordan, the most well-known man in Israel, the most popular, more popular than Herod or Pilate. He, was, he had just baptized the man who would become more famous than he was. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recall, all, all report what happened next. Look at Matthew. We'll read Matthew's account. Matthew 3.16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, there was a crowd there that day. There was always a crowd with John the baptizer. Do you not think people went home talking about what they had seen and heard that they had never seen and heard? They had seen people baptized, but they had never seen the heavens open. And a powerful, majestic, holy thing takes place from glory. The voice of God himself 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spoke. He had to speak. This was his son. It was the day he was being commissioned as Messiah. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. These men obviously knew about that. Had to. Hundreds, if not thousands, had seen and heard. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about the day that the heavens were opened? Maybe some of you were there and you heard God himself speak. John the baptizer is my first witness. The miracles I do is my next witness. God the Father who sent me is my third witness. Fourthly, the scriptures that my Father has given you is my fourth witness. Look at verse 37. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Look at this. And it is they, it is those scriptures that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive the glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Yet another comes in his own name, and you'll receive him. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, but you do not believe his writings. How then will you believe my words? Let me simplify that for you. Jesus is saying, you search the scriptures, and these men did search the scriptures, but you have not really seen or heard God in his word. If you had seen and heard God in his word, it would abide in you. As it is, his word does not abide with you. For if it did, you would believe in the one he sent. You would have listened to John's testimony. You would have listened to the testimony of my works. You would have listened to the testimony of the Father. You would believe in me. Because the scriptures you so laboriously search speak of me. They bear witness of me. Jesus was saying, if you would just look and really see, if you would just listen and really hear, Moses, David, Isaiah, Daniel, Micah, they all wrote about me. That's Jesus is standing there. He's made those audacious, audacious claims, astounding claims. And he says, the scriptures in the Old Testament, David, Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, they were writing about me. They said I would come from the lineage of David. They said I would be born in Bethlehem. They said I would come out of Galilee. They said I would make the blind to see and the lame walk. We read Isaiah say that this morning. Remember? He said the blind will see, the deaf. He said the, leap, the, the lame will leap for joy. He said they t- these same scriptures 
tell you that I would die an atoning death and return from the grave. One day I was asking an unbelieving friend, I said, what do we debate it a lot? And I was asking him what he did with the scriptures that describe the birth and life and miracles and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'll read it to you. And so I read to him from Isaiah 53. You know the passage. It's there on your scripture sheet. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Always like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you know what my friend said? My friend said, well, John, that's easy. They saw that happen. That was in the New Testament. That's, that's New Testament scripture. And I just laughed. Come on. He, I said, you've just proved my point. He rightly assumed it was speaking of Jesus. He said he's talking about Jesus. I said, but it was written by Isaiah. 700 years before Jesus was born. That's what's written. There's not a description of Calvary any better than what the description that Isaiah wrote. In Isaiah 53. Jesus told these men. That put so much stock in Moses. He said I'm not going to accuse you before my father. I'll just leave that to Moses. Moses will accuse you. He's your patron saint. But he wrote about me. On the morning of the resurrection. When Jesus fell in with two disciples. On the road to Emmaus. They were on their way home, and they were in despair and anguish. And Jesus, withholding his identity from them, blinding them to who he was, said, why are you so upset? And they said, have you been in Jerusalem and not known what's transpired the last three or four days? Jesus was crucified. We thought he claimed to be Messiah. We thought he was, but he was crucified. Messiahs don't get crucified. And look what happened. Look at Luke 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Look back. He goes immediately. Jesus, think about this for a minute. Jesus could have just taken the scales from their eyes. And they said, it's you. It's Jesus. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He took them to Scripture. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer in these, thing, these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How many times have I read that passage? Ah, I would give anything to have been there. Jesus himself saying, look at this. And going line after line after line after line through the Old Testament. But folks, that's exactly what he's doing now. That's what Jesus is doing now. Stop and think about it. He does this at CCRC, in our Sunday schools, in our Bible studies, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, in the pulpit on Sunday morning. What's he doing? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's what he does, Old and New Testament. Every Sunday, every Bible study, that's what Jesus, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that is what he's doing. We live in a dangerous time. Our immediate culture does not believe Jesus is the Son of God and Son of Man. They hold that in scorn. In their unbelief, this culture has called John the Baptizer a liar. They've said Lazarus and all the other miracles must be killed. This immediate culture has called God the Father a liar. That's what they would say. to the, You say, John, you're being dramatic. I'm not being dramatic. We've just heard what Jesus said this morning. And our culture is saying, no, Jesus, you're not the Son of God. No, Jesus. John the baptizer lied. He was bewitched. We've killed your miracles. Your father lied. And the Bible belongs... Our immediate cultures put the Bible in a museum. It's folly to think Scripture is God's written word. Folks, this is serious. We will believe Jesus or we will believe our culture. Who will our children believe? They will either believe Jesus or believe our culture. Who will our grandchildren believe? They will either believe Jesus or they'll believe our culture. Who will they believe? We can begin to answer that question with our own confirmation of our own faith. Yes. I believe John the baptizer. Yes, I believe the miraculous work of Jesus. Yes, I believe the testimony of the Father. And I believe the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. And for that reason, we will sing our closing hymn. We come, O Christ, to you. We're going to sing our own confession. Maybe you've never made a profession of faith this morning. I invite you to stand this morning. If the Holy Spirit has changed your heart this morning, you stand and you sing this hymn with us. Hymn number 181.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.